Well, if you're able to stand, please join me as we read the word together. I'm going to be reading from, um, from Mark uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carrying by, carried by four of them. Since they could not uh, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat uh, with the man lying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does, it, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not healthy, who, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, but uh, to not call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Need some coffee there, Jim? Yes, I Maybe. do. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> Get me one while you're at it. Hey, everybody, welcome. Top of the morning to you. Yeah, come on. So good to be together. What a joy. We have, uh, we have friends here this morning who are from Iran. And let's give a round of applause for them. I won't point them out, but we are thankful. Where I think opportunities like this are a little harder to come by. So we're grateful to be together. All right, so let me ask you guys a quick question. Jesus said, which is easier, he says to the Pharisees, uh, to say your sins are forgiven or uh, to say stand up and walk? What do you think the answer to that question is for Jesus? What is easier for him to say? Ah, you think about that for a minute. Think about that. And let me start at the top. One of the purposes of this series is to, I want to just reintroduce you to the Bible. And I want you, I want to help you fall in love with God's word the way I feel. I just love reading the scriptures. I love underlining highlighting, making the connections, and just like digging into scripture. And so we're doing this so that you can kind of just get in there, right? You can highlight things and really write things out and engage the passage, which is how I was taught as a college student when I was in InterVarsity. What's up, Neil? Neil, yeah, he was in InterVarsity with me. And we would do this thing called manuscript, and we would spend hours just digging into the passage. And I want to help renew your love or introduce you to the first time to the amazing thing called the Bible. 
Now, a couple things about the Bible. The Bible is an extraordinary piece of literature, absolutely unique. And I, I think I can say that quite honestly. Listen to this. This thing, 66 different books rolled into one. Now, remember, they originally scrolls now in the codex, the book. But they, 66 books, over 40 different authors written, wait for it, over a span of 1,500 years. You feeling that? I mean, tell me a book that has those credentials. And yet when you read the Bible, if you have read it from cover to cover, you would find something even more extraordinary, that it is a unified story pointing to Jesus. Oh, you might be going, wait a minute. Most of that Bible is before Jesus was born. Was it? Oh. But in ways that you would never really notice unless you were really digging deep, the Old Testament is constantly preparing the world for Jesus. You have the Gospels, like Mark, that are introducing Jesus to us, and then you have books like Revelation that are preparing us for his return. Now, in the Bible, you have many genres. There's three overarching genres I want to introduce you to so you know how to read the Bible and know what you're getting, because if you don't know what you're getting, you might get something that you don't expect. A little bit like if you don't pay attention to the spice level on your Thai food order. <laughs> you got to pay attention to what you're reading so you know how to read it. Okay, so listen, there's narrative. 43% of the Bible is narrative, right? It's story right? Because story is the best way to learn. Number two, you've got poetry. 30, what is it? 33% of the Bible is poetry. How many people here love reading poetry? Raise your hand. Poetry lovers. That's more than the 845 service. Check you out. All right. Uh, poetry. One out of every three verses is poetry in the Bible. Poetry gets you to pause, slow down, and really think about what you're reading, because at first it doesn't make immediate sense. For example, one of my favorite poems I memorized uh, by Langston Hughes. Here you go. Bring me all of your dreams, you dreamers. Bring me all of your heart melodies, that I may wrap them in a blue cloud cloth away from the two rough fingers of the world. Huh? You're like, what does that mean? Exactly. Poetry is meant to, whoa, get you to stop, pause, reflect. The scriptures have a lot of poetry meant to do that. The Psalms, a lot of the prophetic books have poetry. And then lastly, there's um, the third genre is prose and discourse. That's like the letters of the epistles, the book of Proverbs, just telling you directly how it is, right? Just spelling it out for you, defining like in Hebrews where it says, faith is, right? He just tells us certainty of things we cannot see. It's evidence of things we cannot see. Now watch, Mark is narrative and Mark does it differently. He doesn't define faith. Narrative shows us what faith looks like. The other thing about narrative, like the Gospel of Mark, is it, create, it puts characters that into the, organizes characters into the story in a way that helps us find our place in the moment. And that's what we're going to see today in Mark's Gospel. Mark is going to help us understand what faith looks like. Right? Because right there it says Jesus saw their faith. We're not going to get a definition of faith, but we're going to look at people in the story and get a picture of what faith isn't and what faith is. What does it look like for us to grow in our faith? By looking at the people in the story, the people in the story are going to help us find our place as we orient ourselves around Jesus. There's four groups of people. Let me show you guys. Check this out. Uh, I got, we hired a really professional artist to do this amazing picture 
And uh, there it is. Uh, I think we're going to need to fire that guy soon. Yeah, this is me. Okay. So in the story that we're looking at today, okay, with the paralyzed guy and then Levi and his friends, you're going to see four groups of people. All the people in the story are right here. And the point that Mark is, what Mark is trying to do is help you as the reader and the listener to find your place in the story by asking the question, who do you relate to the most in this story? Now, there's a little bit of um, of them, all of them, and all of us, right? There's a little bit of a Pharisee in us, we'll see. But what do you relate to the most? What position? Because each group represents a spiritual posture to Jesus. The Pharisees, right here, up at the upper left corner, they represent a skeptical posture towards Jesus. Then you have the crowds. They represent the curious, the people who are huddled. They're checking it out. They're watching. They're listening, but they're not sure what to make of it. And then down here, you've got the paralyzed man, and you've got the tax collectors and the sinners who are coming to a dinner party. They represent seekers, people who want to get closer to Jesus and learn more about who he is. And then you've got over here, the friends, These are the friends that brought the paralyzed man. And you've got Levi. What do they have in common? Why are they in the same group? Well, they have in common that they found ways to open up a way for their friends to meet Jesus. That's what they have in common. And they represent that posture of following Jesus. There's the posture of being skeptical, curious, seeking, and following Where do you find yourself in the story as we go through? I want to help us dig into this. Here we go. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us find our place in this moment and to know what it looks like for us to take a next step in our faith toward you, Jesus. Thank you that you meet us right where we're at. No matter where we are in our spiritual journey, there's a place for all of us in the story. And you want to help us get closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Let's dive in, guys. I want you to reflect where you see yourself. Let's start with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, we see them in verse 6. Now, if you look at verse 6, it says this. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, and they were what? Thinking to themselves. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then in verse 16, again, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the Pharisees represent that skeptical posture toward Jesus, even offended. Okay, let's unpack that. Notice their skepticism. They have questions about Jesus, but they're not bringing those questions out into the open to Jesus, they're what? They're thinking to what? Themselves. They're keeping it to themselves. Later, they go to the disciples, but they don't want to bring it to Jesus. And I think that's because sometimes we have doubts and we don't want to bring them out into the open. We're afraid what people might think of us, sure. But I think more, I think we're afraid that if we bring our doubts out to God, he might find a a way to remove those doubts for us, and now there's nothing between us and God. And in some ways, I think we use our doubts as a bit of a security cushion between us and God, a reason to not have to surrender our life to Him. Here's the thing. You guys, doubts are an important part of our spiritual journey. Admitting we have doubts is so important. 
because it's acknowledging those doubts that allows us in our faith to go deeper. And I love helping people through their doubts. You don't grow spiritually by bearing and hiding your doubts and pretending like they don't exist. And you don't grow spiritually by keeping your doubts to yourself. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. And that allows them to stay comfortable with their own assumptions and their own answers rather than allowing God to give them a different perspective. Now, not only are they keeping it to themselves, but they're offended. Look at this. They say blasphemy. Like he's blaspheming. What does that even mean to blasphemy? To blasphemy means to act or speak offensively against something sacred. Now, has God ever offended you? Now, I'm going to first talk to you if you've been a Christian your whole life. Has God ever offended you? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you have never been offended by God, you are not taking God seriously. I want you to really think about that. If you're going to take God seriously, you're going to get offended. Let me give you an example. I just started to follow Jesus. And I ran across a verse, John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Can you say no one? No one comes to the Father except through me, and I was offended. Come on, Jesus, what about my family who doesn't know you? What about my friends who don't know you? And I was offended. You ever been offended by God? Come on now, we got to be honest about this stuff and bring it to God. And that's why we gather as a community of believers to bring our doubts and our offense together to allow God to speak into it. But that's not what the Pharisees are doing. They're not bringing out their offense and their doubts to allow God to work on it. They are using it as a barrier between them and God and to keep a safe distance from him. It's like a security blanket. Where, are you, where have you been offended or are you offended by Jesus now? Maybe you have an intellectual offense. He offends you intellectually, right? Like, how can I believe in something I can't touch, see, or feel? You're of the scientific persuasion, and you're like, come on now. Am I expected to have blind faith and jump off a cliff just because someone said believe? And that offends you. It, aff- it offends the towering intellect of your mind. Uh, Maybe others are offended morally. You're offended by God because of his sexual ethics or his ethics around money. You're offended by the idea that God would have something to say to you about the way you live out your sexual desires. Or you're offended by what 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 he says to do with your money. And your attitude is more of like, hey, I earned it, I keep it. And when Jesus talks about being generous in giving our way or money for the sake of others sacrificially to display God's love, that offends you. The idea of tithing is irreprehensible to you because you earned it, you keep it. It offends you, his ethics. Or how about this? You're offended personally because somewhere along the way, you saw hypocrisy in the church or you prayed a prayer that wasn't answered and you've been disappointed and you're offended personally by things you've experienced. Okay, now you've got some areas of offense. Come on now, who's got some area they've been offended? If you've been offended by God, raise your hand. Come on now. All right, all right. We got some, now we've got something to work with. That's what I'm talking about. The thing with the Pharisees is that not that they have doubts or offenses, but they're not taking the next step 
and being curious. And that gets us to the crowd. The crowds, let's go back to the image. The crowds represent the posture of being curious. See, the Pharisees have questions, but the curious bring their questions out into the open and are willing to learn. Look at verse 2. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them, meaning they were learning, they were listening. Now, look, circle that in your book, circle large numbers in verse 2, just circle that. And then in your books, look at verse 4, and look at right there at the end of verse 4, it says, since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, circle that one, and then look down at verse 13, and it says a large crowd. Circle them, connect them with lines, all right? And you're going to see that Mark is going to go out of his way. He talks more about the crowds than any other gospel because he's showing us that a visual of what was happening. He's showing us a couple of things. Number one, uh, momentum is building in this Jesus movement. And we're seeing that people are attracted to Jesus. Here's a guy who is holy, who has a high moral standard, and yet people who are far from God are drawn to him. And we see that with Jesus, there was like this magnetic quality about him. How is that possible? How could you be holy and have a high moral standard and be so different and yet be so safe and attractive that people want to be with you? I think we think that if I'm going to follow Jesus seriously, I need to be constantly offending everybody, you know? Or, um, and I think we're afraid to flip that, that, hey, if I'm open and honest about my convictions, I'm going to offend people and scare them away, and we hide who we are. But listen, it was the confidence of Jesus. It was his openness with who he was, comfortable in his own skin, that was magnetic and attractive. Holiness is attractive. And people who are far from God see an alternative to what everyone else is living for, but when we hide our light, there's no, there's no alternative. And Jesus was attracting crowds of people through his teaching. The crowds represent that readiness to watch, to listen, to learn, but maybe still a little passive, not ready yet to change their life. Let's talk about curiosity real quick. Curiosity. Oh, it means to be inquisitive thinking. It means to explore and to have a desire to learn. So now what's the difference between the Pharisees and the crowds? Think about it. They both have questions, but what's the difference? What's that? Yeah, right there. They want to learn. So you can have questions, keep it to yourself, right? It's your security blanket. God, don't get too close, God. Look at all the doubts I have. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at all the doubts I got, God. You stay over there, Jesus. Versus someone who's like, yeah, I got doubts. But I'm willing to bring them into spiritual conversation with friends, with family, and allow God the opportunity to help me through my doubts and offenses. That right there, that's curious. You're willing to go into spiritual conversation. Number two, a curious person is willing to change their perspective when faced with evidence and answers that help them see from another vantage point. I remember I was witnessing to a guy in my dorm and when I was a freshman, and every time he'd have a question, I would go research it. And I got really good at researching all these apologetic questions about, 
you know, the ancient fossil records, scientific contradictions to faith. And I would go out, research it, come back, and I would give him responses, not in an arrogant way, but in an earnest and honest way. And I would help him in he, to, through these doubts. He'd get to the place where he'd be like, yeah, I can't see any reason. I got, you got me, but what about this? And then we go to the next one. What about that? And then I would answer that question. What about this? You see, not wanting to learn, but wanting to find an excuse to not have to surrender his life to Jesus. Curious people want to learn, but they're not ready to change. You see what I'm saying? It's good to be curious. Curiosity is better than being skeptical. It's the environment for faith to begin, but there is an even better place to be. And if you're here, you've got to at least be curious, right? That's good. But I want to show you an even better way. Check this out. Number three. Number three is the four friends and seeking. Look at verse four. It says in verse four, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made, yeah, keep this image up. No, 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 go back, go back, go back. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Let's keep this right here. I'm going to read it to you. You guys right here, we're talking about these guys. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made uh, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Here we go. Verse three, verse three. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And, while, and then verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, there's curious, but these people are a different category. These are the seekers. Now, what's the difference between the crowd, the curious crowd, and these guys? I want to get you to think for a minute. Look at them. How are they different? So now Mark wants to paint a picture, so you should be picturing this. Let me give you the picture. The crowd, they're all standing. They're watching. They're listening, kind of like you are right now. You're in the crowd. But watch the paralyzed guy. The paralyzed guy is lowered right in front of Jesus. Do you see the difference? Watch again. Verse 15, the friends, or Levi invites his friends to a dinner party to meet Jesus. Now picture it. They're sitting at a table and they're eating tacos together, probably fish tacos, and Jesus is there and they're talking. So do you see the difference? You got it? You see it yet? The difference between the crowd who's curious and the seeker. The seeker is ready and willing to get up close and personal with Jesus. Up close and personal. So, the Pharisees are skeptical, the crowd's curious, but the paralyzed man and the tax collectors and sinners, they are seekers. It represents a willingness to move beyond the crowd, like right now where you're sitting in the crowd. And to not just listen to what I'm saying this morning, but to leave this room and say, I want to know more about Jesus. I want, to, I want to look at that passage that Ryan was talking about. Can we look at that together and doing that with your friends? That's a seeker. The willingness to move beyond the crowd toward a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, now listen. When we take steps toward a personal relationship with God, we can do that in a couple ways. Let me show you how to do that. Number one, you're taking a step towards a personal relationship with God when you start looking into the Bible and into Jesus' life for yourself. You start 
getting to know Jesus for yourself. Let me tell you a funny story. I don't know. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, I was dating a gal, and she was always talking about this awesome other friend of, her, of hers. And I knew that friend, but she was always talking about how amazing this friend was. Well, I started getting curious about that friend. And eventually, me and that girl, we broke up. And sure enough, I was like, I want to get to know that other friend. <laughs> I know, that sounds crazy. But you know, we weren't married. We were just dating. So relax. <laughs> and so... I eventually asked that girl out on a date. Her name was Stacy. And we went on a date and I found out for myself. Now, this is what my therapist said. I was seen a Christian counselor. <laughs> yeah. And she was, you know, she was helping me. And she's like, Ryan, ask her. I'm a romantic, you know. I'm like an all-in kind of guy, if you haven't noticed. And she was like, Ryan, just ask her out. You don't, this doesn't have, you don't have to get married to her. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. She said, take the pressure off. Just ask her on a date. So I asked her out. See, you see the difference. I'm curious. Oh, you tell me about your friend. She sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, and then I'm on a date with her going, wow, she is even better than awesome. Ah, you see? Okay. So you, you, you look at the Bible yourself. You can't get to know God without the Bible. I got to tell you that right now. What are you going to do if you don't have the Bible? Well, I don't know. It's like getting to know God by Facebook stalking him. You're just going on rumors from other people, and you're never going to really get to know Jesus. You're going to get to know what others think about him. You got to look at him for yourself. But you don't do it alone. Do it with some friends. Let some friends into your life and do it with them. And that's what you see with the paralyzed guy. He doesn't get to Jesus alone. He gets there because he's got friends that he is willing to let help him. My friends, letting others help you get to know Jesus is not you giving up your independent thinking. I had someone call that on me once, and they go, I don't want to give up my independent thinking. I'm going to do this by myself. And I said, okay, let me ask you a question, Mr. Independent Thinker. Can you imagine a neurosurgeon self-diagnosing themselves and operating on themselves? I got him. No. No, no way. That would be crazy. That would be foolish. It's humility, guys, to let others into our life and to learn from others so we can increase our perspective, believing that there's perspectives out there that are bigger than our own. It's humble. It's not you need to be an independent thinker. That's just your pride talking. Let people in your life. Look at the Bible. Number two, number two second way you can open up to a personal relationship with God and allow it to grow. You're not having to get married yet. You're just opening up to God. Number two, you're willing to pray and start bringing your needs to God, uh, your physical needs. So the paralyzed guy's got a physical need. Or your spiritual, your emotional, your relational, your financial needs. You bring those to God and start letting God into your life. You do not have to be a full-blown follower of Jesus, married to him through his son Jesus, to see God showing up in your life and answering your prayers. Any more than, I can't get to know how great my wife is by just dating her and getting to know her. See, it's the same thing. Open up, a seeker is willing to date Jesus, I guess, <laughs> to put it that way. Okay. 
But seeking is about acknowledging that it's not about a philosophical curiosity or a mathematical theorem. It's not about solving a problem with God. It's about relating to a person. And someone who's willing to become a seeker is willing to acknowledge that God wants you to have a personal relationship with him. So when Jesus looks at the paralyzed man, he does something that's not transactional, which is why he doesn't heal him first. He forgives him. Listen, you can take some Advil and heal a headache, but you can't take Advil and heal a broken relationship. You need forgiveness for that. And that's what your Father in Heaven wants with you, a personal relationship with you. And only forgiveness can restore broken relationships. And so he says, son, that Greek word is a very special Greek word. It's a, it's a term of endearment. In Spanish, we would say, we Spanish speakers would say, mijo or mija, right? Spanish speakers in the house. It's like my sweet son, my sweet daughter. What do you, I don't know what you, I call my daughter Nini Puff. It's like a nickname, you know. It's a term of endearment. It's like, mijo, your sins are forgiven. My sweet son. That's what, that's what it is there. I'm not making it up. That's just, you lose that in the English, so I'm giving that to you. It's relational. God wants a relationship with you, and being a seeker means you're opening to the possibility of a relationship with God. And lastly, the four friends, being a follower of Jesus. Oh, man, this is so good. Look at this one. I love these guys over here. Okay, check this out. Okay, so you've got the friends and you've got Levi. In verse four, it says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they what? Now there is an interesting phrase that I want to hold on to. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus. Yeah, sorry, I just got emotional. I just think about um, the effort these friends went through to get their friend to Jesus, and I just started to think about the friends that God put in my life to get me to Jesus, you know. I think we think that witnessing for Jesus and sharing our faith is like, means we have to become a salesman and our friends become projects, but do you see that here? There's none of that here. Being a fisher of people is about opening your life to the love of Jesus Christ for the people in your life. That's what it's about. It's about making an opening in their lives to meet Jesus for themselves. This is what it's about. You see, you can believe in Jesus and receive forgiveness for your sins, but that doesn't necessarily mean you've become a follower of Jesus. Or you can receive forgiveness, you can receive his love, but you're not necessarily allowing him to move into your life. Because when Jesus moves into your life, he brings his friends with him. When I first got married, I was like, oh my gosh, every weekend we're going from wedding to wedding because all of my wife's friends are now my friends. And I just told her, I've got enough friends. No, this is a real conversation. I've got enough friends of my own. Like, I don't have room for all your friends. I mean, what am I going to do? But being a follower of Jesus is not just accepting the love of Christ. It is allowing his friends to be your friends. 
And my dear brothers and sisters, who are the friends of Jesus? They are the broken. They are the paralyzed. They're the people who don't know how, they're paralyzed. They don't know how to find their way to God on their own. They are the tax collectors, the sinners, the people that you don't want to sit next to at your kid's soccer game. They are the ones, and my friend told me one time when his parents got divorced, other parents wouldn't let their kids sleep over. They're the people we don't want influencing our kids. And we can insulate our life from the friends of Jesus, the people that Jesus wants to reach with his love through us. You see what I'm saying? You see, this is not a project. This is like his passion. So I no longer want us to think of evangelism as making projects of people. It is participating in Jesus's passion because he died on the cross out of that passion. That is some transactional event to go through the obligatory steps of obedience to his father. He did it out of a torrid love affair for sinners that scandalized his life and got him murdered because he loves you. And he will not let anything in your life offend him so much that he cannot get through it with his love and his grace to bring you home to his father. And he, my friends, is, wants to do that through us. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just the most wonderful thing you've ever heard in your life to be a part of that? Oh my gosh, look what time it is. Yes. Preacher got preaching. So let me invite the band out and let me make this really clear. Okay, let me just really button this down with a couple points. To make an opening, to be a follower of Jesus is joining him in his passion to help others know Jesus, to know his love. Maybe you've lost touch with that. You're here and you think that's what it is? No, no, no. You can be here and just be curious. That's good, but it's not the whole picture. It's not, you, don't you want all of Jesus? If you want all of him, then let his passion into your life. Let it in. Let it just mess up your busy, complicated, full, important life. In this way, number one, to make an opening means to open our friendships to Jesus. Levi did that. He opened his friendships and said, hey, I want to introduce you to this guy that has changed my life. Would you want to come and have dinner and meet Jesus? Number two, it means to open our lives to their needs. So you see the four friends, they care about their friend. He's not their project. This guy's got paralysis and they're willing to dig through a roof and look stupid and maybe get arrested. I don't know what they would do back then. But you know, they're willing to be crazy because they want him to be healed. It means opening our hearts to our friends in their whole life, in all their needs, physical, emotional, spiritual, marital, financial. Number three, it means opening our doubts. When they were trying to get to Jesus, there were barriers to them getting on that to Jesus. So what did they do? They give up and go, well, it's too crowded. I'm going home. They found a way through their doubt. They got on the roof. Maybe you got doubts. You got doubts like this. Can God use me? The answer is yes. Number two, you might have a doubt. Can Jesus reach them? Can Jesus really reach them? And some of us have decided for our friends that they can't believe. And we won't talk to them about Jesus because the truth is we have judged them in our hearts we have decided for them that they could never believe in Jesus. Do you see that that is like the most judgmental thing we could do? But to invite our friends, say, hey, would you ever want to 
Look at Jesus with me. Have you ever, what's your religious background? Was it a good experience? Have you ever looked at Jesus before? Would you ever want to join me over coffee and spiritual conversation? You're not degrading your friendship. You're honoring them. You're honoring them. And you're glorifying Christ. Let's go into this song. And I just want to invite you. What's your next step with the Lord? Where are you in this story? What's your next step? And how does Jesus want to make an opening in your life to come closer to him? I just love the, the visual of that l- phrase, Jesus, you're the center. And it gives us like a picture of Jesus sort of at the center of a solar system, the center of like a wheel, the hub that holds all the spokes here is Jesus at the center. Look at how happy he is. He's so happy. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, God is the happiest being in the universe. He really is. He's just overflowing with joy. And God wants to bring us into that joy, into that happiness. He really does. And yet there's people at different stages in their spiritual journey. And what's so beautiful about Jesus is there is a place for all of them, even the Pharisees. You notice that when they're like, hey, you know, how can you say forgive? You're forgiven for your sin. Jesus says, so that you may believe. Did you see that? He goes, so that you might believe. Because he sees their skepticism. He feels their hostility. And yet he's like, man, I want you to know my heart. Even them, he's not writing off. There's room for all these people around Jesus, but we and only we can make the choice to come closer to him. So, which is easier for Jesus? To say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? You know, scholars like to debate this. A lot of commentaries have different twists, but let me give you my take. This is, it is just my take, so I'm, it's a warning. <laughs> I think what Jesus meant by that was they're both just as easy for him. They're both just as impossible for any of us to say, I cannot forgive your sins and I cannot say stand up and walk like he can. But in Christ and through his spirit, he can say that because of who he is. And what that means is, is good news. There is healing and an open door for every one of us to experience the goodness of God's love, no matter what stands between us and God. Physical or emotional and spiritual healing, there's a door open for you. And I want to talk to you right now before we leave, what does it look like for you to accept Jesus as your Savior? Take a seat for a minute. I want this to be a special moment, and I want to invite us to be praying for this moment right now. Because I'm going to give a very, very direct, clear invitation to you. I want to help you take a next step. What is that next step of faith for you? For some of us, it's moving from skepticism to curiosity. For others, it's moving from being curious to being willing to allow our lives to change and becoming a seeker. But there are others of us. You've been curious and seeking for a long time, but this morning it's time to move to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Where you give your life to him, 
and allow him to become the leader and the savior of your life. I want to explain to you right now how to do that. Here we go. Number one, it means to repent. To repent is to have a mindset that says, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to allow my perspective to change and reorient around God your perspective. Around what God has to say about you, that you are made to be in relationship with him that you have sin that needs forgiving. And that takes us to the second thing, which is to accept that the barrier between us and God is all on our side. When Jesus died on the cross, he removed every barrier on God's side between you and him so that right now there is nothing between you and God. He died because all your sin was between you and him. And when Jesus died, Jesus just said, all right, that's there. Now what? Now what's keeping you from me? And there's nothing between you and God now. All you have to be able to do is admit you need his forgiveness because the choice to live our lives without God at the center is what the Bible calls sin. And it's not a put down. It's a spiritual diagnosis. Jesus said, look, he says in verse 10, He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What is he saying? He's saying, sin is like sickness of the soul. And sinners are people who are willing to say, I'm sick. They're the people who are willing to say, I need to go to the doctor. I need help. I can't operate on myself. That is a sinner. A person who can say, yeah, I have some spiritual sickness because God is not the center of my life. That's all that it is, guys. That's all that it means is accepting you need his forgiveness. And thirdly, oh, check this out. It means to believe that forgiveness will heal you. That when Jesus forgives you of your sin, your relationship with God is restored. Fourthly, to surrender the control of your life to him. And here it is, the last one to join him, to be a part of what he's doing, to be a part of the Jesus movement where he is bringing others and fishing for people with his love and grace to bring people home to the Father's love. Would you like to be a part of that? Look, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. It's admitting you need Jesus and you need his help. And if you'd like to do that, just raise your hand. And just say, you know what? I need God. I need God. I I see you guys. I see both of you guys. You're not doing this for me. I see you, brother. Because I'm not going to like try to sell you a timeshare or I see you. This is a way of you taking a step of faith and acknowledging, okay, I'm admitting I need God. And it's humility to admit in front of a room of people that you need God. And it's that humility that opens your soul to God's grace. Are you ready to do that? Anybody else? I see you guys. I see you. But it's not just those people. How about those of us who... Well, actually, let's pray for those real quick. Lord, let's just pray. If you raise your hand, I'm going to pray for you. And if you saw someone raise their hand, would you just put a gentle hand on the shoulder? Let's bless these guys. Lord, we want to pray that right now they would just see an open door and you waiting for them. It says in your word, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So repeat after me, Jesus, come on, say it with your mouth, Jesus, 
I open my life to you to receive your forgiveness for living without you at the center of my life. I invite you, I welcome you into the center of my life to be the savior and leader of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to join you. Oh, I didn't hear that one very strongly. Come on now. I want to join you. And I want to do what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, yeah. This is such wonderful news. If you just prayed that prayer, can I, do we have a prayer team? We've got a prayer team that's here. Yeah, we're going we're gonna, to, yeah, here they come. Hey guys, if you raise your hand, would you let someone pray for you? Again, Orbo is not going to try to get you into like a, a condo anywhere. The guy, these guys just want to pray with you. So this moment is personal. You don't forget it. They have a gift for you. And before I leave, listen, these kinds of steps of faith are for believers too. Where is your step of faith, believer? Where is your step of faith? What's, maybe you've been skeptical about a friend that God put in your life who's been talking to you about the Holy Spirit, talking to you about, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to, if I want to get all charismatic. And God has put a friend in your life to introduce a side of him that you don't know. So maybe you got that going on. Maybe for others of us, you have been a believer, but you've not been a follower. You believe in Jesus, but you've not been a part of helping others get to know Jesus. You've lost touch with that. You've gotten afraid of what people might think. You've somehow just gotten too busy. But you know, this morning, you're like, okay, time to open up my life to you, Jesus, again. What's that step for you? Talk to someone this week about it.